What's up, folks? You're listening to The Creative Leaders, a podcast that focuses on in-depth conversations with leaders, founders, and top creative talent working in animation, gaming, and beyond. I'm Stephen Scott, founder and CEO at Big Mouth Audio, and each week I sit down with producers, leaders, and creatives from gaming, tech, audio, film, TV, and more to uncover their stories and bring you the lessons they've learned along the way. We'll discuss the journey our guests have been on in their career, their approach to running companies or leading teams in the creative industries, as well as the ups, downs, challenges, and successes of bringing great stories and compelling content to their audiences. Okay, Giles, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here. Um, so we're just going to kind of start off uh, like we do with all of these episodes, and we're going to ask you to tell us your story. I know just before we started recording here, we were, we were chatting about this, so um, I'm going to ask you to tell us your origin story again. Just... Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, where you where you started from? How, you know, where, where did your your interest and passion for for music and sound come from, and how did you end up here? Well, uh, I mean, I started, I actually studied uh, psychology and neuroscience in Glasgow, which has brought me, it brought me to Glasgow. Um, so at the time, I was never going to pursue music or anything. I was sort of heading down the arts road, uh, science road. And I actually then ended up doing a stint at medical school. And it was actually when I was there, it was that realization, because I'd already done a degree and I was going down, and my family are medical, and there was always that pressure, you know. Be a doctor. It's a good career, you know. But it was that thing of how am I going to fit my music stuff into being a doctor? And it was sort of like this is not the right sort of starting point. And I actually lost my mum at that around that time as well. She was, she was very young, so it was almost that thing of you know what? I think when something like that happens, you kind of go, well, what's important in life? You know what? Yeah. You know, we only live once. I mean, it does sort of your kind of mortality. Is suddenly revealed when you lose someone close, and I think that actually drove me. And I actually, music was a big part of getting through that. So I, it, it became such important. You know, I'd already always played music. I just, I've never, I, I never studied it, but I just played piano every day when I got back from school. I was a bit of a nerd in that, and I had this sort of old synth my dad got me, and a uh, ZX Spectrum going way back into oh, yeah, the eighties, nice. yeah. a Casio CZ five thousand. Which I never, I remember having all, you know, loving all that sort of technology but, and playing the piano. So music has always been really important to me. But, but yeah, I, I kind of reached that point where you make these life decisions, don't you? which way do you go? So, yeah, and I, so I, I gave up medicine. I remember sitting actually in, in with the, the head of the medical school, it was in Manchester actually. I'd done like a term and I just, I just thought, this is not going to happen. So I told him that I'm, I'm going to do music. At the time, I was doing a lot of stuff for theatre and, and I said, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do music with theatre and film, and and he, I remember him saying, "Oh, so, okay, just you go run off to the circus." And when I look back, I think, "My God, what a thing to say!" You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that actually, I think that drove me. I thought, "Sod you, I can make a good career out of this," and also leaving medicine. You know, you're leaving a, you know, a kind of a good sort of comfortable career and all the security and everything so I think always in the back that's always been a big driver it's like look I left 
that to do this. I've got to make this work. I've got to make music work. Otherwise, I've really messed my yeah. life up. <laughs> so, you know. Um, you know, and also trying to make a living out of it, it's not easy. It's, you know, music is, it's the kind of almost the, it's the classic, all right, go off and do music. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. telling my granddad, he was very kind of, he was in the Navy. And he actually fell over when I said, oh, man, I've given up medicine to do music. And he fell over. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, I made it work, you know, one way yeah. or another. I mean, it's it's always that thing of, you never feel you've really made it. You know, you never, you're always sort of a few steps away from this could all just fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no guarantees. There's no, there's, a, there's no kind of nice career path in it. So you do need a, a thick yeah. kind of skin. There must, there must have been some, we were kind of discussing there before we started recording about um, my situation where, um, you know, when I first started out of studio and kind of, you know, got to that point where it just wasn't working and then but there was no kind of other roads to turn down um and then you just kind of had to say you know, i need to go back and like you know think what else can i do with all this equipment or how else can i uh, what other angle can i take yeah, here yeah, so yeah. that you i mean you must have you must have loads of stories from the, the early days of you know right i'm going out i'm going to i'm going yeah, to make music so, work yeah i mean i i think i was always keen to set up a business because I always felt that that way, it just gave me that kind of platform. I never had the courage, in a way, to just go right as a kind of composer and a musician just to get work. And I always felt I needed to sort of have a, an infrastructure of some kind. So I was always sort of driven. I mean, I went all sorts. I had all sorts of sort of projects and angles trying, you know, well, you know what it's like, you kind of think. So... Uh, I got involved a bit in sort of multimedia as well. And, you know, so I was always, been, you know, um, the, the, in fact, it was, I saw, I remember actually when I was in medical school, one of the things, I saw a TV ad and I heard the music. And I thought, you know what? I can do that. That, you know, it was almost, and I know it's an ad and it's obviously, I don't aspire to do ad jingles, but that was a kind of like, you know what? I can do this. So I was, you know, and, so I suppose I was always on that line of, right, okay, theatre's great and kind of band stuff, but TV, TV soundtracks, film soundtracks. I mean, it's a very, you know, I mean, nowadays that is the way you do it. I mean, at the time, I mean, I never thought oh, I'll get a record deal or anything like that. I never felt maybe confident enough or I didn't have that, you know, and I suppose the nature of my work, I'd sort of write a lot and keyboard play a lot of, sort of technology, not so much a sort of, write a song <laughs> i've never yeah, been a yeah. songwriter i'll do it if you pay me yeah <laughs> figure it out <laughs> i mean I, I do do that to a point but but yeah it's much more uh, and actually my music kind of goes i mean really it sort of starts from the blues and sort of goes out to jazz and then into classical and actually i i you know uh, i played a lot you know well okay just sort of follow a timeline here so yeah so after uni and after leaving medicine and everything i i mean i was kind of lucky there's a friend of a friend in a band I said oh i meet these guys so i met uh, les rice who's was working with cal and Meikle from now savalas and so they're like oh we can work together so they brought me in and cal and Meikle were dubbing mixers at stv so this was a sort of 
I, I'm actually when I look back, I was really lucky. I just sort of landed on my feet. Really, they were they were sort of mixing TV programs at Scottish TV, um, and the directors would go, "Oh, can you do the theme tune?" I don't think it happens this way now. I don't know. It seemed easier then. I think it's harder <laughs> now. But at the time, it's like, yeah, so they would kind of go, yeah, right. And so we'd all, they'd give us a call and layers, and we'd all go back to Michael's flat, and he had an Atari ST, like, you know, and we'd write a tune um, all together somehow. It was this sort of beautiful egalitarian process. It was great fun. Yeah, We had yeah. a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and then you know, and we get the thing, we make it a little bit of money, and so so it kind of evolved from that. It's like, all oh, right, okay, oh, we need a studio. So we then managed to find a place in Woodlands Road in the west end of Glasgow, which happened to have a booth. It's an old sort of teacher training building. Right, right. It's like perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the old ST, you know, uh, the Stan Comedy Club. So yes, yeah, it's an yeah, old yeah. Sort of. Uh, one of these sort of Victorian school blocks. Right, a lot yeah. of those in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so so we kind of, but of course then, and well, and it just kept evolving. We got more work, and then it just sort of grew from there, really. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I had that platform, that, you know. Um, but, I mean, it, the flip side of it is always, well, you know, when you start a business, you'll know all about this. You kind of create this thing that needs feeding. And yeah. So the more work you get, oh, I need a bit more equipment. And, uh, and we ended up doing. I mean, at the time we we were just music. So Savala, we set up this. The company was called Savalas, and we set it up. I mean, it was just music. Right. Um, but because Cal and Mike were dubbing mixes as well, you know, we thought, well, actually, if we get a bit of dubbing work, we can then that will kind of help the cash flow and we can do more music so we invested in like and at the time it was like pro tools was just out yeah, with, with yeah. the mac it was the first time this was i suppose 98 right suddenly for the first time it, you could actually build an eight track professional studio for not that much you know it was yeah. grand rather than 100 grand yeah and and they were still working in stv on these literally two track reel to reels and they had a room of ten of them. Now you know, and they were like the size of massive fridges each. Yeah. I mean it was just off off the scale. <laughs> you think back. And they were still using that. I mean that was they were a bit out of date at that time, but that was still the way they worked. Yeah. And it, yeah. and it was splicing and it was cutting with razor blades and stuff like that. So this was like a so we were like that generation of probably the first wave of how technology just suddenly started to democratize it, yeah. um, and that was it. So yeah, we we kind of then built another studio, and we put more money in, and of course, and actually, as the business evolved, obviously, music is very um, uh, it's very hard to sort of build a business writing music because it's so kind of subjective, and it's yeah. so it's all about sort of relationships and uh, and actually, post production is a much clearer way you can get the work you offer a good rate. You can you do a professional job, you'll get the work, and it's in it. And then, and obviously, it needs, in a way, more sort of specialist equipment. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a bit of investment. So that as the business evolved, the post production sort of dominated really. And we built another studio, and then, and then eventually in '97, with the opportunity to move to the Film City Glasgow's big old another old. Well, it's the old town hall building, right, yeah, similar yeah. kind of building, and um, 
So we were part of that. They called it Film City. They had some funding from the council. Uh, film producer Gillian Berry kind of, she was very clever at getting money. <laughs> That's what film always good to know somebody that. <laughs> all about getting money. Yeah, so yeah. She, uh, she kind of, it was based actually on film by Urn, which is Film City Copenhagen. Right, okay. Uh, you know, the whole sort of Lars von Trier dogma film kind of community there. Mm-hmm. And they built this thing called Film City Copenhagen. And it was an old army base. Right. And the idea was you had all the different elements. So you had post-production, you had filming studios, you had edit suites, you had costume, you had location, props, everything in this big kind of space. So when they did a film, they because some of their films were very low budget but very profitable. I mean, they, they tended to make these edgy films. I mean, it's a few years ago now. I don't know what was happening recently. Lars von Trier is pretty mad. I think he made some... Yeah, he makes pretty crazy films. But yeah, it was a very innovative idea. That So all the profit, and they had a few hits, and they made a lot of money. You know, because if you're spending a million quid on a film, and they kind of, they, you know, some of their films were like, you know, yeah, 20, 30 million, something like, wow. This is... So they bought all these companies and created right. them. So then the next film, they could just use their own facilities. Yeah, yeah. So that was the vision. And Gillian Barry, Gillian Barry, did a lot of co-productions. David McKenzie's part of that. Right, yeah. yeah. He's now in Hollywood, apparently, on the coast in a massive mansion. He's living the life. (laughs) (laughs) He's done really well. But yeah, so, um, and that was really the beginnings of our studio in Film City, and that was a big jump. So we had Dolby licenses, seven studios, and all that kind of stuff. So the business evolved. So that was sort of really... And I was sort of part of that. but So as time went on, in a way, we became more of a hardcore post-production business. And in some ways, eventually I left because I realized, you know, I was sort of, the music became part of that. But I, So that was the sort of flip side of setting up the business, was it kind of, there's a risk it takes you away yeah. from what you actually want to do. And it's a constant dilemma. I think, you know, if there's a takeaway from that, you know, you, it is a tricky balance between you know, uh, get it, uh, if setting up a business, you end up, do you end up just sort of working for the business or do you end up pursuing what you want to do? It's always, and it's always a sort of checks and balances. Yeah. So where, where are you, um, at that point then? So you've, you've, uh, you've kind of moved on from Savalas to go and focus on your, your composing career. Mm. Um, how, how do you tackle that? Because we've we've spoken to a few few composers in the past, uh, and and that same question of, you know, now that you're a composer and uh, versus a business owner, but you're still a business owner. How do you how do you approach that now in terms of focusing and doing what you want to do, but also, you know, doing the marketing and and doing the networking and doing the business side of things and you know um i don't know if there's an answer to that to be honest i don't know if there is a good answer to that but um well it's that classic solo preneur isn't it yeah yeah i mean in some ways you know increasingly do you need a business you know i mean Mm. uh, there's so many tools i mean in fact linkedin is an amazing platform suddenly you can exist in a an environment you literally don't need to leave your room you can be thought leader and you can 
connect on so many levels. It's actually amazing. LinkedIn's really come of age, I think, in the last few years. It has, yeah, especially for the creative industries. It's now, yeah. you know, I think it's, you know, people who are working in that space are now beginning to see the value of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, uh, yeah, Facebook is just, I mean, I, I hardly go on Facebook. I, I re, you know, you kind of realize how much, the problem with Facebook is always sort of mixed up with personal and yeah. business. And, and I felt, when, you know, if I got a job and I was sort of going, I did this, look at this, very delighted to have worked on this. There are definitely, you could feel it. There's an element of bragging in it because you're like, there's a lot of people. I mean, yeah. I, I I felt that. I mean, there's people I know who've done amazing, people like Paul Leonard Morgan and stuff who I know, yeah. and he's out there, and he's the most prolific Facebook poster i don't know you probably really oh yeah he i mean he's brilliant i mean he's um, he's a master of social media but he's relentless but it i just switched him off yeah because you know i realized that you see all these people go i did this and i did this and i did this and you're like you know what i don't want to know yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it's just making me feel terrible so i just so i actually you know is that maybe there's a lesson there just i think i think so yeah i mean we I, I I did the same thing. I started doing doing that a good while ago. I I used to I used to come into my office every morning, and the first thing I would do is check the trades and see if there's anything I could tweet. You know, just re retweeting links to you know different yeah, articles because yeah, I think that you know that's quite it's quite hard. It's, it's an easy way of it's coming. A, yeah, up. it is. Yeah, um, but then I would always go on our competitors' websites. Um, and just and their social media, and just you know just keep it and I see what see what's going on. And then I was eventually, I was just like, actually, I don't care, I, you know, and this is not doing me any good because it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's, you know, everyone that we compete with is like, you know, 10, 20 years ahead of us. And it's like, well, yeah, we did this, yeah. we did that. And you're, it makes you feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, then, so, and then, and honestly, it's just like, you don't actually, you don't need to, because then if you, if you actually think about it, it's like, well, that makes sense. You know, like we're not there yet. Um, you know, and, and so it's just like yeah, and it, and that's the kind of you know a lot of the, one big thing is don't sort of compare. I mean, it's yeah. like a kind of golden rule, isn't it? That's as true. soon as you start comparing it, 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 you suddenly stop. You start, you know, you kind of end up down that road of oh, I want to be like them, and then you kind of all you're right on the back foot as soon as you start yeah, thinking like that. That's right. you, you know, you need to sort of do your own thing, and it's all about you as, as you know what's unique about you or your business and not oh, I'll do what they're doing because exactly. how are you going to, you know, the classic, I mean, I've written so many business plans. I've done all the, you know, yeah. applications and, and actually when I left, I mean, I left, I was doing a lot of music. One of the reasons I left the company was actually the music, my music work was really kind of going great guns. So I did a, a particularly the dead Island soundtrack. Yeah. I did, it was 2011. I did it in 2010, but um, and that went. I, it was a, a score for a game trailer. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was. Oh yeah, it went, everybody's seen that. Everybody's seen it. We'll say maybe <laughs> not everyone's seen it, but yeah, some people haven't. Like, have you not heard? Of it? <laughs> you don't know who I am. <laughs> yeah, no, um, and in fact, I did a talk with uh, the Film Composers Lab thing at the, the RSNA. It was a kind of uh, a training program with. John Lunn, who did um, Shetland and right, yeah, yeah, uh, also oh, uh, Downton Abbey, that was his big right. So he ran this course, and and I went in and did a kind of a one-off from my perspective, which is a, 
yeah, slightly different to what he does. So they're doing a lot of orchestral stuff. But I, I played the Dead Island thing, and none of them had heard of it. But I think they were just, I mean, they're different. A lot, a lot of people. It's funny. A lot of people at the time were gamers, and they were about right. fifteen years old. Yeah. So uh, we did a tenth anniversary version of it, and a lot of those same people are now like in their late twenties. Right. Yeah. Are like, oh, that cha-, you know, it had a real effect. It was, it was actually mind blowing. So this, the trailer itself went viral. It was for a game, a sort of average zombie game, Dead Island. Um, but the, because the trailer went viral, it kind of lifted the game up to be AAA. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it was like the marketing, marketer's dream thing, you know, where it just somehow it hit. I mean, it's an amazing film. Axis Animation produced it. They created it. It was all in reverse. And the music was very kind of slow, emotional, classical yeah. music. Very different to, at the time, you know, game music you'd think of as sort of, Heavy metal and yeah, I mean it's changed now. It's to, since then, games have become a lot more sophisticated and cinematic and emotional. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the amazing thing about that trailer, as you said there, when it when it came out, it was almost the idea of really sort of playing on an emotional hook, wasn't it? Um, with the the you know the innovation of the whole like playing it in reverse to then reveal, you know, the the emotional chord i guess you know uh, well it's that classic juxtaposition so yeah, yeah. i mean that, i mean music is one of the things you know whenever you talk about music it's like do you go with it or do you kind of go against it so if you're using and that, and that going against it can actually have a it can be very very powerful mm-hmm. um you know classic if you put some sort of really kind of high energy rock music with a chase scene yeah it kind of builds that energy but if you put something really sad and emotional and slow with a chase scene, you experience that scene completely differently. I mean, yeah. I, it's something, I, you know, there's an element of when I studied, because I did music psychology, and that was the, the big thing that always fascinated with me, and it still fascinates me, is how, you know, music can actually change the way you interpret what you see. You know? Yeah. And that's the power of music. So, yeah, for this trailer, it was, it was that. It was very much a, a it's a really kind of high octane, gruesome scene, and they just slowed it right down and put it in reverse, and the music's really emotional. So you're seeing this sort of brute, you know, brutality with beauty, and that juxtaposition just is so powerful, yeah. and it just and and so, and it's one of those things you don't know exactly what makes it work, but it just works. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to, I've tried to redo do similar stuff, and it nothing. You know, it's like, what is it about that bit of music and yeah. those images? But the music's sort of uh, taken life of its own, really. It has, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the the amazing thing about it. It's the not only is the trailer so groundbreaking at the time and memorable, but I think the the music itself, as you know, as we've kind of discussed in the past, is so good on its own. And then it is that kind of combination of the two things. Just, um, it's yeah. just magic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, did, yeah. did they? So when when Axis um, came to you with that, did they know what they had in, t- in terms of like this is we really think this is going to be something special? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they had that idea, yeah, and they had a few kind of reference tracks. So yeah, I mean, they it, it, yeah they wanted something kind of emotive and classical. So I had the brief. I didn't come up with the idea of let's try this type of right, music. Yeah, yeah. That was you know. 
Um, but yeah, uh, but it just sort of worked right from the start. I mean, the, the music itself was, I mean, I initially, I actually slowed, I did it a faster version. Right. And yeah. it, it's very simple. And that's, um, and I just played it to picture. Um, and, and it just worked and that was it. And it was just like, and it was that take and that, you know, it just worked. Yeah. And then we slowed it because I had all sorts of horror sounds and yeah. <laughs> like cut all that. No, we just want that. Um, and then, and I just did it with virtual strings and just, you know, made the arrangements. And then we, I mean, it's a real hybrid bit of music. There's sort of, there's virtual violin, there's real violin, there's sort of cello, the piano's part virtual piano. And I use the bass notes of my actual piano that I recorded at home to sort of fill it out. Hey, right. You know, uh, there's um, viola, there's a violin, viola and cello, but a combination of virtual instruments and real instruments so the whole thing's like a kind of a montage of but but at the end of the day and that's what i love about doing this kind of work you know it, you know you can do what you want really as long as it works yeah you know? yeah so it was a case of then layering everything up and knowing and, it, and it, um you know and getting that that final mix that just worked so Brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah. So, but it was afterwards. It was such a buzz because it just suddenly, like, oh my god, you know, it's suddenly every kind of all the newspapers around the world were doing articles on it. It, it was like the kind of streams on the video were so millions, yeah. millions, like twenty-eight million streams within a few weeks. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah. And then it got they put it. So the producers, it was really unusual because normally that kind of when you do the music, the trailer goes out, does its thing, and that's. It. So with this, the the game company Deep Silver said, "Let's get it on iTunes." And this was sort of early days of yeah, yeah. Uh, streaming. I mean, Spotify. I mean, maybe it existed, but you didn't even. It was all iTunes, and it was all downloads. So yeah, at that point, yeah. people didn't really stream music. So much. I mean, they did. It was sort of beginning, but so it was get it on iTunes, and then so we got it on iTunes, and it was number one in the soundtrack charts. In the UK iTunes. I've was still it? I didn't know that. Grab. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, my brother actually took a screen grab. I've still got the picture. It's like, look! <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I was a cool brother. Yeah, day. yeah. <laughs> that was, it was incredible. And so after that, did you then did you then find your career kind of moving in a specific direction in terms of games, game trailers, or or was it you know not, not so much? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely kind of got me some recognition which definitely sort of pushed things up a few notches i mean the truth is I, i've been i've been doing music all the way through since sort of 98 so i'd already done a lot of music so you know and we'd done a lot of commercials i mean we did but more kind of collectively between us we did things like tag we did seven series of tag, seven episodes of Taggart, and we did loads of tv theme tunes and all sorts so I, it's not like it was suddenly like a change but it did sort of shift things up a level. And at the time, I was doing a lot of stuff with Axis animation. So um, I, you know, we did uh, the Sucker Punch prequel oh, yeah, animation yeah, yeah. for that film. Yeah, not a great film, apparently. But great prequel. Uh, so Axis did all these sort of slightly more abstract animations as a kind of pre- prelude to the film. Um, and a whole lot of game trailers and cinematics around that time some quite big brands but then i think as time has gone on i've kind of ended up doing a, sort of a lot of factual stuff as well i did the uh, slow slow trains through africa with griffiths jones and 
other sort of documentaries, a lot of factual stuff. And it sort of ended up being a kind of smorgasbord of different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's one of those things, though. I mean, I've found this a few times. When you get, you have a kind of good period, it doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, that's you. I yeah. think there's a sort of almost like a myth that, you know, if you get there, that's you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're fine. Yeah. You'll be busy for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you eventually work. go through into a room where you're approved <laughs> yeah. and everybody will use you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't get into that no. room. That room does not exist. You have to keep working at it, you know. So I'm sure you know this, but um, I find that. I mean, so like Tagger, we were like, yeah, that's it. We'll be like doing all the main UK dramas for yeah, forever. Yeah. That's and right. that was it, and nothing really happened off that. But we never really properly followed up. I mean, you know, it's that, and it is actually, this is the dilemma of being a sort of a creative practitioner, but also running a business. The two, in a way, you know, they're each full-time jobs. And it's, it is really difficult to get that balance. Yeah, And yeah. I still haven't got that, because I, I find if I get busy and I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of, sort of series animation series and things like that which are very time consuming and go for like six months where you're pretty much full on uh and you kind of come out the other side and go everyone kind of starts to forget who you are <laughs> yeah. like what's next oh i mean i had this i did do a few series a few years ago i mean like you know uh tom gates for Wild oh yes yeah yeah hushaby lullaby so i've been doing a lot of animation series which kind of ties in with the game trailer stuff i speak I mean, I love working with animation. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a kind of clean, nice, clean slate to work on, you know. Um, but yeah, and then and then that stopped, and there's oh no, that's delayed for for a year, and you're like, uh, that that that's my year's work. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> oh, okay, that's fine. There's yeah, it's never easy, you know, and it, it's just you. So I'm trying, you know. I think things like the kind of daily posting and social media are so important but it's really difficult yeah, um, it's, yeah. to keep going you, know, you have to sort of come almost come up with strategies to do it that mean it's sort of almost automatic that's cool. right yeah do you do you find um so i know a lot of composers do a thing where they just you know if they do have a quiet spell they're just in the studio and they just write music you know, and they just do it every yeah. day, and they're just churning out stuff. They're sending it to, you know, a representation or anything. Is that yeah. is that something you do? Because I, yeah. I know some composers also just say, "No, that's not for me. I just, you know, I can't do that until I have a brief." And yeah, know. that's interesting. Yeah, no, I think for me that's really important. I, yeah. I think I would, if I was just doing commission stuff, I think I would sort of dry up. I feel, mm. you know, in a way, doing my own stuff, the, the sort of almost keeps the creative engine oiled you know and then when you get a commission very often i'll go oh, i've been working on that thing that could work and yeah, that could work. Yeah. so it's almost like for me it's like an r&d and also i can release my own album so i've done you know 10 albums put them on spotify and stuff um so yeah i'll get into you know and sometimes a project becomes almost like a muse for more work I did a, a virtual reality thing with ISO Design. Sort of, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, they do kind of digital experiences. And they did a, it was more a, a kind of a, a kind of research project they did. And there was no money in it. 
<laughs> it's a lot of work. And I go, oh my God, this is a lot of work. Should I really be doing this? <laughs> I didn't tell my business partner, my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is no, yeah, yeah, great, I'm earning yeah. money. Promise. <laughs> uh, but actually, it was brilliant. So from that, because uh, the way we use a lot of kind of vir- uh, Vocaloid, this sort of virtual vocal software and just the whole kind of mindset of thinking in terms of spatially and the sounds and the kind of just triggered. It was almost like it just got me into a kind of zone that I just wanted to do more stuff like that. Yeah. And sort of did an album on the back of that. And it's, and I find that you never, you know, it's never a waste of time. It's never, because yeah. it, it, I, you know, I have hard drives full of stuff, but I'm always, they're like kind of my resource that albums. Oh, that track. Yeah. I can use that. I can use that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, in fact, I did a. I, it was another one of these sort of just creative scenes. You kind of go into, oh yeah, this is. I'll do more like that. And I did it last year. Um, I just sort of found a way of working. I was playing with kind of drum patches and stuff. Oh, that's cool. I can do that. Uh, and did a whole load of stuff. It's like an epic trailery kind of music. And it's literally been sitting there. I put it on Spotify, and literally no one listens to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing with releasing music it's so difficult you know as a yeah, like yeah. streaming and you get so little and i find that that's got harder and harder uh, uh, dead island just in fact still dead island sort of is by a factor of 10 the biggest thing from on my spotify artist account yeah yeah uh you know it's dead island just out it's hard to know what's going on because dead island is just sort of on a different level, and yeah. Then I have, you know, the, all my other tracks, do, you know, like, um, <laughs> it's really hard to make. So I put this this album of trailery stuff on uh, Spotify. Nothing happened, and then um, a, a library. I sent it. Just spoke to someone, and they said, "Oh, you know, send it." I said, oh, "There's this." And they said, "Brilliant, we want it." So I'm actually now, and I've ended up remixing it and adding some more tracks, and it's going to be in a production music library, which is probably where it belongs. To yeah. Be honest. yeah. Um, so yeah, and that, and that's actually a. I think as a composer, you have to have lots of different streams of things going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I think it's you know unless you really are back to back with commissions and you you know you, you have to just keep and and even the thing is even commission stuff now the budgets are so small. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of it you know a lot of it is dependent on the, the sort of royalties and that's getting harder because the streaming platforms. You know the nature of streaming means the the performing royalties, which is usually the kind of the bread and butter of a TV composer. They're so tiny. Yeah, well, um, we we spoke to to Mick Cook. Do you know Mick Cook? Yeah, um, yeah, Mick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we spoke oh, to yeah, him, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was he was kind of say, saying a similar thing about how um, you know commissions. Every commission now is asking for full buyout. And you know, there's no back end for the, the composers after that. And you know how much of a problem it is because I guess for I guess as you're saying there for a composer, so much of their livelihood then depends on that back end, those royalties. Yeah. I mean I couldn't survive without yeah. horses. I mean I'm lucky I've done in a way I've a lot probably you know, a big chunk of my royalties come from stuff I did ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like at the time, they went straight onto TV, and they can, and now, and because now they've, and they're on YouTube now. But they're because they're quite old. They've built up a big. I mean, like William Tig, I did a CBB show. I mean, the budget was ridiculously low for it, 
But I mean, to be honest, if you add up the royalties I've got from that, I mean, the budget's irrelevant. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah. It's, um, and that really pays off. But now it is different because I mean, I, I yeah, I've, I've just done a thing for Sky Kids, the Tom Gates series, and there's virtually nothing because it was just streaming. Yeah, it was just on their um, s- streaming platform. You, you could, it wasn't actually on a channel, even though right. it's a very high-profile program with a global audience. And I'm like, but it generated nothing. Yeah, nothing yeah. literally. Um, and so you're like, but I negotiated my fee on the back of the fact that I've got my writer's share because you always keep your fifty percent with PRS and stuff like that. Um, and that writer's share is irrelevant if it doesn't generate yeah sort of royalties. So in a way, what's happened is uh, the uh, commission fees have gone down. And one of the arguments for it, it has always been. You get royalties, right? Okay. Uh, it didn't used to be like that. You used, you used to keep all your rights plus get a really good fee, but that's obviously changed. Uh, but that argument sort of falls down because the royalties are sort of minimal now. Depending on where, it, if you can get onto daytime telly, it's sorted, you know. But yeah, so um, so, but the fees remain low, of course. Yeah. Yes, so it's almost like you can't go back the way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I guess. I guess with the you know with with the way everything's on streaming platforms now, um, it should be a case of either you know a decent commission fee, but certainly if if there's going to be a, a buyout, then that has to be substantial. You know, surely if it's you know because even if you keep your rights, if if you're not generating anything on streaming, then. Then it gets to the yeah. point where, you know, what, what is the point, What's, really? Yeah. What is the point? I mean, that, and actually it's interesting because there's a lot of hoo-ha at the moment about some of the big US platforms buying all the rights. I mean, I think Netflix try and do that. And they, uh, was it um, Nat Geo or Discovery Channel had a policy where they would just take all the rights? Um and yeah, that's wrong because that means the composers basically. But they were paying more up front. But you could argue, well, actually, maybe you're better off getting a, a much higher commission fee and giving away the rights if there isn't royalty generation. Although I think there's a lot of politics going on at the moment to change that. So they're trying to argue because at the moment, if you do something, I mean, I do a lot of stuff for Raise the Roof, Kirsty and Phil, you know, like uh, Love It or List It, and, you know, Channel. Channel 4, daytime, really, kind of craft shows and stuff like that. And I've done a lot of work for them for virtually nothing. But it's every minute there's a a payment, you know, every minute it's on telly. And because it's sort of uh, broadcast with a – it's based on sort of audience share, you get a share of the pot of of all the kind of income generated through the broadcast, through PRS. They distribute it. Uh, and you and you do much better on daytime telly than even probably at some kind of super high profile high end drama on Netflix that's kind of just exploding. You'll get more for your craft show on yeah, Channel Four yeah. after the news at lunchtime. I mean, yeah, <laughs> so there's bizarre. something very out of kilter with yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So argu- hmm? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the argument is. Because uh, the broadcast royalties are based on audience share, streaming royalties should all, also be based on audience share, but it's not. I don't know quite how the hell they work it out, but it's, yeah, 
I know it's, it's, sim- it's sim- you know, I kind of know more about the kind of voice side of things, obviously, for for that. Um, and looking at, again, this is more specific to America, but actors' uh, residual fees um, for streaming platforms, I think it is now kind of based on audience share and, um, and, and, and something that makes a bit more sense. So, you know, fingers crossed that that's then going to follow through with music and it'll kind of do a similar thing. And I think it will. And yeah. I think there is, I mean, I know the, there's a bill going through Parliament at the moment relating to this. And I know yeah. there was a change in America. I think it will it will change. I mean, whether they'll sort of retrospectively change things, I don't know. But it's certainly not, it's not an easy, easy time at the moment um, for composers. No, no. And I think... Uh, you know the other the, fl- the other side of it is there's so much stuff out there. You know you, yeah. you're kind of competing with everyone and anyone. I mean anyone can create. When we started, you know, you did need quite a lot of kit, yeah, quite a lot of, yeah. to get sort of professional quality. Now, literally, you need nothing. You know, you need a computer, you need a phone, probably. yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's just accelerating with AI and everything else. You, you know, and there's so much stuff out there. I mean, there's still good music is good music, and you know, you still need talent and yeah. ability beyond just oh, there's a plugin I can press play and it will just do it for me. Yeah. So yeah. there's always that, but yeah, I mean, so but it, but you are competing massively, and some of these um, kind of licensing music license platforms that you know on a, on a subscription twenty. Twenty dollars a month and use anything, anything you want. You know, yeah. I mean, it just kills things for composers because they get just so little. So you're competing with that. Where oh, well, I could actually get a license for a hundred quid for my global TV ad. Yeah, on yeah. this platform. How do you compete? You know, it's, exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah. So I know it's, it's 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 an interesting one. I mean, that's the. It's kind of going back to what you said earlier, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, selling your uniqueness and your authenticity and, um, and, and, and relationships, I guess, must be the, yeah. it must be so key because I suppose it depends on the production, but, you know, um, producers or heads of productions are probably going to want to work with people that they have that relationship with and know are going to get it um versus i don't know just kind of saying let's just pick just pick a bunch of tracks from a library and then because it sounds easy in, in principle but i could imagine that the work that would then go into somebody who has to pick all those tracks who's not a composer not a music editor you know that's going to be a bit of a yeah headache. well that's yeah and actually advertising is it's such a a kind of um, the way a lot of the advertising agencies find music is such as a blunt instrument. Because I'm, I, I have a couple of sort of sync agents I work with, so they'll come to me and say, "Look, we're pitching for an ad. Can you write something? You write something bespoke to the picture, and then you kind of what sort of slowly sort of the more you kind of learn about what's actually going on. They they're one company." The agency will go to three or four companies. So each of those companies will go to maybe mm. five, six composers and ask them to write something. I mean, maybe there's a hundred quid in it. 
you know, yeah. you're like, right, well, uh, okay. <laughs> it's just, so you get paid something if it's sort of kosher. But, and then, um, so you, so the agency are kind of now, they've got 60 tracks, yeah. bespoke tracks that have been yeah. written for this ad. And they and how they choose what's it's just there's no rationale. It's not about how good it is or anything. It's yeah. just and music, the nature of music is so subjective. Yeah. yeah. And so in advertising, quite often everyone wants a kind of a say in it. So you have all these creatives. I mean, I, I don't you, have you done much ad, ads? Have you done many ads? Um we've done we've done a couple of things. Um kind of going back a few years. Yeah, yeah. So we did um I mean, we don't do a lot of music, uh, but we when we have done, I'm trying to think, we 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 did some stuff for like famous grouse ads with the Leith Agency. Oh yeah, you did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else have we have we done music on? But even not just music, but just I, I remember at Savalas, you you know, you doing a final mix. I mean, maybe it's it's probably changed now. Actually, this is at a time there was a period where. The producer and director would always come in and sit yeah. in the studio, yeah, all for every minute of the that was expected, yeah. And now yeah. that is so rare, you know. Well, it's, wow. it's it's one of those funny ones. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, we don't we don't take on kind of ad work, it's we're kind of very sort of specific to games, yeah, yeah. and longer form animation. Um, but we, I mean, we have done loads of like ad and commercial work over the years in terms of like mixing, you know, so you'll get that kind of phone call at half 11 at night and saying we will pay you anything we need this mixed uh for tomorrow um right and it's like you know a 20 second spot for something and it's like yeah yeah so what is it a voiceover and a a music track i mean okay um but then you know what i always love is the the stories about the voice records and the voice sessions for ads because if you ever watch like clips of like Toast of London and you know when he's in the voice booth and stuff, it is exactly like oh, right. that. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, but when going going way back when I kind of started out and I had my tiny little voiceover studio, you know, we used to do like you know corporates and, and sort of local ads and stuff, and you know, the actor would come in and then you know, producer from the agency would come down and would record the line about a hundred times, you know, it was like one line, and then they'd say, Okay, I think that's good cut it together you know from like 10 different takes okay i just need to uh phone my boss and play them this down the phone or like email them it okay good they've got it okay we just need to then send that to the client <laughs> it's like come on just record it three times and it'll be fine <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, I know. I know. so yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a strange world but um uh-huh. Kind of let's let's kind of going on this um, back on a more positive flip then. So let's uh, <laughs> when when you do win a commission, can you talk us through your creative process? Uh, you know when you start a, a new project. Yeah, well, I mean, it, obviously every project's very very different. So um, I think I mean generally the one thing I I always find. Some okay. Some directors really know exactly what they want, and they're very specific. And others are just like, "I, I trust you. I know what you do. Do your thing." Um, and the, so you definitely get two kind of. There's two sides that they, that's the sort of black and white. You know, the do your thing or this is what I want. And 
so and it, it really that's where it starts so i mean quite often i i i, I find a reference track is really useful because generally directors and producers aren't necessarily that musical and talking about music is really difficult i mean the you know describing music and almost every single project i do there will be a point where the director says, I, I, I don't really know how to say this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And come out. And quite often you end up with all sorts of sort of contradictions in the brief. You know, it's like upbeat, but chilled out, but kind of, I want it kind of really high energy, but kind of mellow. And, <laughs> you know, you often yeah. get that. You're like, read between the lines. Um, and then you get some who come up with all sorts of fancy words about music. You know, you're just blagging it because I don't know what you're talking about. You know. So yeah, so a reference track often if someone goes right. We want something. I mean, it depends as well. Is it going to be a long form soundtrack for a series, for example, or is it you know an ad or a kind of theme tune or something like that, or a cinematic or something? So um, so usually, yeah, you get some kind of reference music, and you go right. That's the kind of thing, and instantly you get that. You kind of go right. I know the kind of thing. I know where we're at, um, and I, you know, sometimes you can get involved too early in a project. I mm. find, you know, often I'll, I'll kind of, you know, it's still early ideas. But you'll start doing stuff, and you can end up wasting so much time. You kind of do bits here, bits there, and I always find that if you, if you have too much time, it can then become stale before you even start. Yeah, yeah. and often it's just that freshness um so yeah um yeah you don't want to get in too early but i mean i i find i certainly i prefer if the director's like i love what you do do your thing and then and quite often yeah. you'll have you know can you know we want it i mean like well the what the thing you did um uh oh what was it called uh what's the animation um <laughs> the you mix Oh, the fit was it the films the monster the show oh the, uh, you, the one you did yeah um Widdershins? Widdershins. yeah yeah sorry yeah so we, that was a, a really nice example of you know it, it's a very specific world it's sort of animation and it's kind of like slightly steampunk victorian but kind of sort of really old-fashioned kind of fresh and sort of slightly jazz, you know. So you have all these sort of jazz, right, right. So I did with that, I kind of did a whole track and I just wrote, with no picture at all, I just wrote some music. And that became the kind of kernel. Oh, I like, well, I did, and quite often you'll do something that's wrong when you do another thing. And so, and it was a bit too, as soon as you start writing music, you then off, often, you actually the person actually starts to say what they really want because they because they're hearing what they don't want yeah and yeah. Then often it's what you, you don't want so they'll hear a bit of music and go definitely not like that much more like this and suddenly you're like talking so when you have this sort of blank com you know a kind of blank page at the start of the conversation quite often you're just like who knows you know i mean the other thing is i you know i usually will send a whole load of tracks i've done yeah in that lane i mean i've got enough stuff that i cover most things <laughs> Jack of all trades. <laughs> no, I think that's that's actually an incredible takeaway. I think it's because I've never thought of it from that point of view. Of because it's kind of a similar, it's similar in voice production and voice casting. I always say to our clients, um, we'll always be able to find the right actor for this role because they're out there somewhere. We just won't necessarily <coughs> do it on the first go. Um, yeah, I've never thought about it in terms of music where. 
because it is so subjective and it is that classic sort of line of you know the client don't know what they want till they hear it but it's quite an interesting way to approach a project and almost say okay we're going to get started i'm going to send you stuff that you don't want i'm going to send you stuff yeah Yeah. (laughs) i know you're not going to want this but we'll eventually find the hook or that little something um and another great reason for just constantly working on your own material because as you say you could easily say well here's something that i think fits the brief yeah 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 i mean you don't actively look for stuff that's not going to work you're always trying to find stuff that works yeah yeah uh what you think works and what they think works can be very different but it's always worth as well when you do if you're pitching do kind of go go bang on the brief as much as you can Mm. But it's worth always doing another wild, you know, a, a wild card track, right? Yeah. Because often they don't know necessarily, and you don't. No one knows what's going to work, and they might hear something that's completely not what they really asked for, but works. And it's like, oh, actually, that's amazing. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, sometimes I find, particularly like advertising and stuff like that, that if the client isn't really sure what they want, and there's definitely a kind of nervousness, and they're not necessarily kind of like they're definitely not that just do your thing i trust you kind of if they're kind of uh, and they do have a reference track quite often in and you kind of sense it you go just do something almost as as close yeah. as you can legally yeah. get to that reference track <laughs> and they'll love it yeah. and, it, and it never will be the same i mean i think that's and maybe that's experience and stuff but um you know if i try and do a track obviously not the same but i get as close to a reference track as possible it's still my track it's still very different you know yeah um and it's i'm bringing all my kind of own experience and my sort of way of doing things and so it will sound very different so um but there is a point sometimes it's like can you do a kind of pastiche or a kind of sound alike yeah and that's a no-no yeah yeah it's... never say never never do a sound alike do do um a kind of inspired something by, inspired by yeah exactly. yeah <laughs> i've done a few of those yeah. so close so close because they basically can't afford the the the, the commercial track that's right yeah something that's like, but it is dodgy and actually interestingly all the legal responsibility is on the composer so if they right, say okay. do this and do it almost exactly and if you get done or if there's a legal you're the composer's responsible. I mean, the reality is it never gets that because obviously they are ultimately embroiled in it because if they've used it on their project, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it, never, it never gets to that. But yeah, I mean, you know. So yeah, there's so many different ways you can go. Um, but, uh, and, and actually, often people don't realise how much work you may hear a bit of music like for example for an ad or some tv things and you go that's really simple god i could i could do that i could have done that in an ad you know yeah yeah (laughs) but the reality (laughs) is to get to that bit of music i mean we've done i've done 13 different bits of music to get to so you do something not right do something else not right do something else not right nah it's not working do this do that we'll try this try that you know, I mean, I did a pitch for an ad which I never got. Um, and I keep thinking, can I put pictures on my showreel? 
<laughs> so I've done all this stuff. Yeah, no amazing stuff. Yeah. I actually did that with uh, Perrier. I did a Perrier big, this is after Dead Island, and I pitched, it was Ogilvy in Paris, and, you know, it was the panellists in, in the Golden Line. It was all like, whoa. And he said, oh, I want you to do my big advert, big high-profile advert. Never got it. You know? I'm like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I put it on my thing. Anyway, I did a whole different bit of music. Because it's actually, I had the movie and I just did it. So. But, yeah, what was I talking about? <laughs> I'm diverging. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, I just did a pitch for an ad. And, and I did five different bits of music for it. And they liked them all. But they had a few other bits, and they I all got shortlisted. I'm like, yeah, great, great. And they picked not my bit of music. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and it's sort of almost exactly the kind of thing I did. It's no, not better or worse. So, so yeah, pitching can be tough. I hate pitching. Yeah. You have to do it. Pitching yeah. know it's a necessary it's, evil. Because you're always thinking, but if you actually work with me, if you go, right, I want exactly. to work with you, we'll find it and we'll yeah. do amazing work. And it's like, I know. I always find it strange. You know, if there was one thing where you should take that approach, it would be music because it is so subjective. It is it's like, just, just work with the composer. Don't worry yeah. about, don't, don't go out to 60 composers and, and just no, wait no. for the idea to land in your lap. You know, just yeah. maybe work with it's the person, already... you know, get to know the person first and then, yeah. but and um, it makes it impossible or very difficult to sort of have any kind of con- career in music for ads. Yeah. Because it's just based on luck. Yeah. You know, like random. There's no kind of like, and there are obviously, I think when you get, there are a certain scale of ads where you can, but it's really, it's so unpredictable. Yeah. Really, so. Yeah. But yeah, that gives an idea. So where do you, where do you see the industry kind of going from, from here? Um, I know that you've been doing a lot of stuff or, you know, around, like you mentioned, with ISO design around sort of spatial audio and kind of 360 sound. Obviously, um, you know, there's this crazy AI music stuff popping up now. Um, what's, where, where, where do you kind of, what, what are your ambitions? You know, where do you kind of want to go next? And where do you well, see? I, I must say, I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm always into gadgets and technology. I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily know how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and I love like the, 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 I mean, I go into my modular synths and I love expressive keyboards and mix. I've been mixing quite a lot in, um, you know, ambisonics right, using right. VR, um, headsets and things like that. Uh, so, uh, I think where it's going, yeah, well, AI, more worried than I was a couple of years ago. I thought I have nothing to fear. I mean, AI music was like general MIDI. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it was like no problem. And I've I've listened to a few things recently. Thought, oh, actually, that's, that's all right. <laughs> but it's the I mean, it's exact same issue with uh, visuals, with pictures and mid journey. Yeah, you know, I think there is there is. I th- personally, I think take the positive view because it's mm-hmm. here to stay. Mm-hmm. So I think embrace AI. I think in some ways, in many ways, it's it almost sort of treat it as like something that can augment yeah. Yeah. ourselves as creative practitioners and enable us to do stuff that we couldn't have even imagined before that, you know. Yeah. I mean already I've kind of like with the the visual side, you know, I've I've made a few kind of you know, used imagery as as inspiration for music. So yeah. I can just sort of create a sort of a movie 
for my music or a, a music video just like that. And it's really creative in that way. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same. I mean, AI is, I mean, as you know, like a whole load of sort of audio plugins use AI. I mean, I use it, to be honest, it enables me to sort of mix and master in a way that I couldn't have got away with it yeah. before. But now, yeah. you know, I can, you know, a lot of these plugins will kind of analyze the music, suggests where you can EQ and compression and do things. And then you can send it on, you know, upload it to a mastering platform, comes back. Yeah, okay, it's never going to be as good as a kind of a, a brilliant sort of human sort of engineer. You're always going to, and I think that's the point. It's never going to be human, is it? Yeah. AI is a sort of summary. It's like a kind of uh, an average of of what humanity has achieved up to now, but it's not. The whole point with creativity is it's breaking the new. It's sort of trying to kind of, you know, see sort of bring in the whole kind of human condition into our, into the work in a way that AI just isn't doing that. It's just sort of summarizing what's already happened. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, but yeah. No, I think I think got to look at it positively, and I I think you know it may what it may do is uh, to, you know automate a lot of stuff that's more kind of by you know like kind of clerical and, and you know technical uh, and maybe that will free the us up to just be creative you know? yeah yeah but obviously there is going to be i think there inevitably will be a period where you know maybe the the jobs will start to dry up a bit but then new things will happen so i, I think it's it's a cha- it's a point of change rather than um so yeah but in terms of the spatial stuff, I think it's really exciting. I mean, you're in that world as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, I, and actually, yeah, it's one thing I found with, our, you know, the post-production, TV film post-production, it's actually really conservative. I mean, TV is incredibly conservative. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, and, and in, in many ways, most of what we listen to is, is it's it's. 50 year old technology really yeah. stereo even 5.1 even the sort of dolby 5.1 um atmos is getting is is a lot more immersive but it's still like that traditional idea of there's a screen and there's a sound you know it's a linear thing and blah 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 but the opportunities are so massive now to, yeah. to just take yeah. that on a, in a whole different direction so i find it absolutely fascinating it's interesting because um virtual reality not virtual well spatial sound proper sort of 360 ambisonic spatial sound. I mean, used a lot in games and VR. Um, it is challenging from a sound point of view because often music. I mean, we have Dolby Atmos as a sort of format in iTunes now, yeah. but actually, you know, you talk to any kind of music producer, they're like, stereo just sounds better. You know, it's it, 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 the mu- the way we listen to music and and the way you can sort of produce it. There's nothing. It's a different thing, you know, a decent stereo mix. You can, and even just practically, you can then process that mix and getting it sounding really punchy and it's a really kind of in you, you know, a kind of solid sound. Whereas uh, as soon as you kind of spread it out, you've got all sorts of other factors. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and if it's coming in in all directions, it's just, it's too much. It's overwhelming, particularly soundtrack stuff. Though. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, we found doing, uh, as soon as you put a music track in a kind of VR soundscape, it just sort of 
overwhelms the whole thing and you lose the subtleties of that spatial experience it actually really minimal stuff is so much more powerful yeah yeah i know it's kind of it's kind of when you're maybe out for a walk and you're listening to so i I use apple music at the moment and then some random track you know from years ago pops up that's been remixed in atmos and then it's that way kind of when you're moving your head and then you know the vocals change to your and you're kind of like well this is i don't know if i need this i don't know if i need this (laughs) in my headphones but in terms of uh like score and and soundtrack for for you know games and and you know things where you are expecting you know an immersive experience yeah yeah yeah, that's i I think you're absolutely right it is just the subtleties of uh of, of how you use it i think dolby atmos in itunes is it's a bit like 3d yeah Glasses, yeah. isn't it? it is yeah yeah it's it's not it's not necessary it doesn't improve it, it actually no. makes often it will make it worse yeah yep. um it's a big debate it's ongoing but i mean maybe i mean i've done a few i did a sort of re uh i suppose ambient album for kind of relaxing that was my my lockdown album yeah everyone's everyone's got a lockdown album <laughs> or a lockdown book yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and usually they're pretty chilled out but yeah so it's um and i i i i just got the i used dvr sort of spatial plug-in setup so i had like all these sounds going round and round and round and round and, and it actually it kind of worked for that because it just sort of yeah. you ended up in that space but it was and i think it does work for that ambient immersive mm-hmm. sort of sound bath which is relaxing and that and that and that works. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, but it, it's like what? Yeah, it, it's still a bit like oh, we'll have that spinning around your head. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> where I think it, where it does work quite nicely. I've I've been listening to more fiction podcasts. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you know our you know our sort of history do, of, of dabbling in that 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 space with uh, Once Upon a Time in Zombieville, um, but. A lot of games studios and, and games IP holders are now coming out with fiction podcasts. I don't know if you if you're a gamer, but if you uh, if you saw the Callisto Protocol that came out, I think just a couple of months ago, big huge AAA right, title. Yeah. Um, and what they did was the game, the game, the game yeah, yeah. But I what do. they did was um, they brought out I think it was a ten part fiction podcast series in the run up to the launch of the game. Um, which was kind of like a prequel to the story of the game, um, and uh, you know, and Ubisoft are doing loads of stuff in partnership with Audible, um, you know, with like Assassin's yeah, Creed, yeah. And, and you know, again, fiction podcasts, fiction audio, audio books with multicast actors, scores, and they're kind design. of prequels to games coming out. Sometimes they're yeah. prequels, sometimes they're just you know brand it's extensions, not. just new stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that other games companies are are looking at this, um, and and obviously there's places like you getting into that sounds like perfect for you guys yeah well we're 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 really interested in in that space um you know i mean it's for us it kind of started out with you know fiction podcasts for kids yeah yeah. which is you know and we're developing new ideas in the house but um you know we are we are really excited by the opportunity of of you know them working on commissions for whether it's game studios or whether it's you know with the podcast networks um because i read something recently where fiction podcasts are 
now almost as popular as true crime, which is insane to think. You know, because I mean, I pers- I mean, I don't read. I don't read fiction books and, you know, to sit down and listen to a fiction podcast. It's just too much time. But when I do, you know. Now, fiction podcasts are almost as popular as true crime podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, that genre. That genre. Yeah. When you say fiction, is that basically anything? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, just, yeah, just basically like a, just like an audio drama, you know. So, yeah, you know, they're um, and some of them, I mean, they sound so brilliant you know a lot of these, yeah, these yeah, but um anyways I, know, I mean that is the thing we've gone from literally just people reading the book yeah to yeah fully immersive drama in yeah, fact that yeah. does like, we we kind of well with innis as well we, and colin edwards and we did the dunnage horror yes <laughs> yeah like yeah yeah so we kind of did go that there yeah, that of was, course, that was yeah. Mad. yeah so uh colin adapted uh the um the classic dunnage horror um oh who's who's the author god i can't remember lovecraft hb lovecraft yeah, yeah so the lovecraft classic story so he adapted it as a sort of radio drama type thing um and then because we this is at savala so we had the full dolby wasn't Dolby Atmos, it was pre-Dolby Atmos. But yeah, it's sort of a Dolby mix thing and the foliar. We had all the kind of facilities, the post-production facilities. So we ended up just approaching it as a film. Um, and, you know, in full surround. In fact, you know what? We were ahead of the curve, yeah, weren't we? I think you were, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what we did. Uh, and so, we, yeah, so we, you know, we had actors sort of in the space. You know, it was a radio drama, basically, but just... But with full Foley, full Dolby mix, and played so it could be played in the cinema. Yeah, and we ended up. In fact, it was Innes who knew at the time the the Glass, the Edinburgh Film Festival, now defunct. Um, uh, they he we managed to get it in as a sort of a, an innovative screening, a film with no film. Yeah, yeah. There was that thing of. The pan- and it was always, and it, for us, it was always like to illustrate how important sound is, you know, because yeah. so often, yeah. you, know, you know, the sound is always at the end of the the, the thinking for any, you know, and the budget usually, yeah. sadly, yeah. of most projects. It's always that kind of thing. Oh, well, we'll do the sound. It's like, because we live in a very visual world, media is very visual centric. But sound is the thing that probably has e- easily equally as important and probably more important in terms of emotional impact. But yeah, so it was a kind of like a, a, a kind of look how important the sound is. So we created this drama and we got it screened, and it was actually one of the best in fest. We got yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a, and then we had a screening in Edinburgh in the in the film house, full pack cinema, sat there for Amazing. an hour and a half. Yeah, and everyone just listened to this drama. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so I we think did it's, it. Yeah. It's so it is so effective. I mean, we found. That's what everyone. That's yeah. what's happening all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, but it's it works really well. You know, even just with binaural sound, or you know, it, you know, just with your headphones, it does really work nicely. Um, you it's know, very effective. so yeah, yeah. and in fact, we Colin did some radio comedy stuff, and we used some binaural and and foley. And actually, it's amazingly effective. There's one scene where it was it was madcap and it was quite gruesome, actually. So there's some kind of gym instructor that ends up 
kind of literally snapping limbs to, to for this sort of karate <laughs> thing. I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's like very Monty Python, you know? <laughs> and um, and we use like celery sticks, the whole thing, and it's real. The sounds yeah. are real. It's yeah. not like it's absolutely convincing. It made it really, really effective because you can be real with sound in a way that visually, yeah, it's never real. You know, so you know, we, my, now you probably can make. We found when we did uh, Zombieville, um, you know, it, it got picked up in a lot of schools because it, it was originally commissioned by BBC Schools Radio, you know, for a season one before ah, it went okay, to BBC yeah, yeah. Sounds. Is that bite size or something? Yeah, it was kind of that same department. Yeah, um, and so it, it got used. It got used in a lot of schools across the UK, and they'd use it, you know, for like listening exercises and art. So they, you know, the kids yeah, would yeah. would listen to an episode and they would then draw you know, their favourite scene or what do you Brilliant. think the character looks like? Because yeah, we gave yeah. nothing away, you know, we didn't tell, there was no visuals of Visually, characters yeah, and stuff like yeah. that, you know. Um, Use your imagination. Yeah, yeah. But, um, listen, we've taken up plenty yeah. of your time today, Giles. Um, nah. We always uh, finish these uh, podcasts with uh, a question that is, um, if you if you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? And that can either be career or personal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bu- my buzzer again. Oh. <laughs> save by the bell <laughs> I have to go uh, oh my gosh um, I th- so if I could be remembered f- for one thing what would that be Yeah, I think it would be music Some, um, I think in a way my it's probably, I mean, I know it sounds, I'm not that old, but you think of the legacy, your legacy. And I think one, what's wonderful about creating music that that, ha, that really affects people is, uh, you know, it's going to be there forever and it will be there when you're gone. And I think that actually is a really nice thing. And, and you know, it's probably the one thing that always sort of has kept me going with music is the, the power of music and how, you, you know, what... A, a privilege it is to be able to really affect people emotionally and really kind of change people's lives you know and I know with I mean okay Dead Island the comments I've had Mm -hmm. we redid it Uh, we did a 10th anniversary and version of it and a lot of people who listened to the original kind of watched it and some of the comments you realize that bit of music actually change people's lives people yeah. actually d- determine their careers i mean there was a someone who became a piano teacher there's a lot of people have used it at funerals and things like that you think my god this is you know right at the heart of the human condition yeah so i mean that for me that's you know the, maybe that bit of music i mean i've got lots of music and but my music uh if you know that's my legacy, really, yeah. and that's you know if, if I'm going to be remembered for anything, I, I don't think I want to be remembered for making a bit of money on something or that brilliant business plan I wrote or yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the practical stuff. Yeah. Although children, having three children, well, you've got kids, that's that's up there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> better. Put They'll that never on. make me forget that. I'll never forget that. No one will ever forget that. No, I, I yeah. mean, I think that's a great way to end it, and. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's probably you know thousands of composers out there who would um, who would be desperate to have 
a piece of music like you know the the Dead Island trailer um, at one point in their career, you know. So yeah, um, I think that's an incredible achievement. Yeah. Thanks again, Giles. This has been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you. Brilliant. Um, and thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. And uh, we yeah. we must try and get you into the into the studio at some point soon. And. Uh, Show you the... I might give you a shout. I've got. I keep thinking. Oh, I must ask you about something. There's something else and there's a, for another day. Yeah. I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you an email. But yeah, no, it's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thank you. Good luck with it. Okay. Thanks.